Hey gang, welcome to episode 168 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This episode is brought to you in part by our good friends at Meow Wolf down in Santa Fe, New Mexico. This week on the show, uh, Catherine again is stepping in for the interview hosting duties. Uh, coming from New York City, we've got Yvonne Chang and Jay Lee of Wildrance, which is this uh, kind of unique thing, actually. It's a storytelling space and creative studio on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Uh, they've been the host of multiple events like the Bunker, Advanced School of Wizardry Cocktail Hour, Through the Wren, and the upcoming Mortality Machine. Um, this this does put them, as I mentioned, in kind of a unique position as they are a venue for multiple experimental experiential events in New York City. Uh, that's something we haven't totally seen before. I mean, McKittrick has uh, secondary spaces that they use for all kinds of things. Um, But uh, Wilderness is sort of dedicated to this. Um, uh, Well, it's it's a major part of what they do anyway. uh, We'll we'll learn all about it in a moment here with Catherine. Um, Notes from uh, No Pro Land. Um, Another big site, Another big site on the week. Another big week on the site. Uh, you're going to want to pay attention to everything immersive this week just because there's going to be a ton of links in there that's going to help guide you. Um, there's just all sorts of stuff going on um, all over the place. I'll probably talk some more about it on the back end. I'm uh, really exhausted. Um, got a lot of stuff going on just kind of uh, both in this world and uh, in, uh, in other worlds. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's gonna be rough going, gonna be, gonna be a rough couple of weeks. Just, just gonna be upfront with you about that. Um, next week on the show, we've, we've, we have, um, we have, uh, Marley and Anna of, uh, Shine On Collective. We have that episode in the can, uh, since they haven't announced when the new, the, the new run of the show, uh, is yet, uh, I've been sort of putting other stuff that we're getting out of New York, uh, which is active, uh, in instead, but there's a good chance that runs next week. Uh, we, we do have episodes sort of booked up through the next few weeks. Thank God for that because, oh boy, <laughs> oh, oh boy. Hey, um, one of the things that's going on is, um, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes, uh, Patreon is great and sometimes Patreon, uh, you know, and not so great. Uh, we, for technical reasons, uh, lost one of the $50 backers, um, this month. And I don't know if, uh, they're going to come back. Uh, this has happened before. Um, I, I'm so grateful for the people who go in at the high dollar amounts, but it also makes me nervous because why would anyone do that? Um, it's like, I'm glad people have the ability to probably something I would do if I had the ability to do, to be perfectly honest. Um, and wasn't someone who was like constantly like begging for money on the internet. Uh, but, uh, we, we, we did lose a fair chunk of change. Uh, we've had three people jump in so far. Um, and so we're, we're kind of part way back. Uh, but it did mean that we went from being like about $30 away from our next goal to being, 
uh, with another one about a hundred dollars away from our next goal. So, um, not, not a fun way to start the month, not with everything else that's going on, but let's say thank you to the folks who did jump in, uh, Don Southerton, Sean Collier of Vigilance Theater Group and Patrick Muller of Control Group. Thank you all so much for stepping into the gap. As always, patreon.com slash no proscenium. That's how you help us out. And we're we're so close to the next goal. Um, and believe you me, uh, we we need it. <laughs> Even just, just the one in the five dollars, uh, one uh, you know, if we lose a couple of one dollars or a couple of five dollars, you know, it doesn't it doesn't wreck our month. Um, when we wrecks our month when we lose a fifty dollar backer. So uh, if you're hearing this, and even particularly if you're new to the show and been listening for a while, um, and you haven't jumped in yet, even a dollar a month, five dollars helps out a hell of a lot. Uh, one dollar uh, helps too. So thank you. Our sustaining backers, of course, are uh, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Arthur. Ari Hurstan, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you all for keeping up with it. Okay, um, let's do the uh, let's do the actual interview here. This is Catherine Yu from No Persinium, and I'm here with the founders of Wilderance. Jay Lee. Nivan Chang. So, um, what exactly is Wilderance for people who don't know? We like to describe Wilderance as a consulting studio and a storytelling space. So, we do on site and off site work. Um, I think most people have had interactions with Wilderance through our space in Lower East Side. Um, we call it a storytelling space because we want to create projects that narratives can exist in, um, whether that's immer- traditional immersive theater or whether it's a magic show, um, all of the above are part of that. So what's your background? How did you get started just doing this? Well, well our yeah. background is on architecture. So we met um, at Cornell when we um, study architecture for undergrad. Um, so yeah, that's how we started. And um, we actually separated um, after graduation, we, we did we work at separated um, separated firms, um, and after about a year or two, um, Jay actually started her um, first um, entrepreneurship in a company, and then she partnered with two different people at the time. And then after about a year afterwards, she just invited me to join her with her venture. Um, and then I don't know if you want us to go into the first company, which is called Public Matter, that um, Jay founded with two other founders. Um, yeah, we could talk about that a little because it, it feels yeah. like it kind of led you on this journey. Yeah, yeah, true. Actually, yeah, and bit. it also definitely instigated the start of Wilderness because yes. Public Matter, uh, we specialized in interactive installations. Uh, mm-hmm. One of our kind of pinnacle projects is called Scratchbox, which is this giant wall that you can interact with and write in. And it's kind of like one of those scratch art things you made when you were young with the crayon and wax and then the watercolor painting in the background you scratch off the wax um so but the all of the projects that we worked on at public matter had a social cause that was it was based off of so scratchbox we had partnered with um the lowline project uh to first create and conceive that project um and installation and after a few years of doing projects that um 
only were based on social causes. We wanted to create a sister company that we can be free to explore interactive and immersive spaces without the confines of having it uh, make a social statement. So we were actually, that was the reason why we're like, okay, let's make a company that where we can be creative and free and no boundaries. What's no boundaries? Wild, wild. We're like wild children. <laughs> and then that became different iterations and we arrived at Wilderness, which we know how to pronounce because we know <laughs> it comes from wild children. But um, I think a lot of people get stuck at wild and then they kind yes. of mumble the rest of <laughs> um, And that's where we wanted to start off as. And uh, with luck, we had actually seen for the first time uh, Punch Drunk's Sleep No More production. That was, I think, in the first year that it was in yeah. New York. Yeah. We had first seen that. And that was also the first year that all these escape rooms were coming out in New York. And it wasn't quite, had, hadn't hit mainstream yet. But um, people that were into the gaming industry were aware, mm -hmm. and we went to both around the same time, maybe the same month or so. I think Escape Room was a little later after Punch Drunk. Yeah, and then we saw the amazing quality and immersiveness of Sleep No More, and mm -hmm. then saw the abysmal <laughs> lack of detail <laughs> of the Escape Rooms at the time. Uh, I mean, it was basically just a box room with a table yep. in a Manhattan office, Midtown office building. Mm -hmm. And we were astounded by the quality of it because we had played all these online escape rooms for years previous and we had all these expectations. And we're like, no, why? We, we can do better. We can do so much better. And so um, then our first project became what uh, the public know as Refuge, which is why it has a lot of escape room elements to it. But... Um, we wanted to make sure that the immersive quality as well as the narrative quality was as close to punch trunks as we can get yes. for a small production team like us. Awesome. So if we can back up a second. So your space is in Chinatown. Yes. It's in a basement. Yes. How did you find this basement? <laughs> Craigslist. <laughs> it was literally Craigslist. Um, we, we, did, we did look for a couple of different places, um, some of them in actual, what is it? Uh, the garment district. The garment districts. Um, yeah. And then a lot of them are in apartments where it's unseeming, where there's a door. There are a couple of doors down the hall. So we like that effect. But most of the space were not big enough for what we were looking for. Or had weird ceiling dents and yes. part wall partitions that uh, can't be moved or taken out. Mm -hmm. And we chanced upon this one ad while we were doing some other Lower East Side spaces. And, and some of the other basement spaces we'd seen in Lower East Side were promising, but mm -hmm. also had weird, like a gap that you had to go outside to get to the other part of the mm -hmm. building <laughs> to get to the other side of the space. And then we saw this one. Um, the broker that showed it was so nice. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we walked down the stairs, which are much dingier than what it, it is now. now. <laughs> We've tried to keep its kind of urban quality, but um, it was sort of scary when we first went down that basement yeah. stair. And... It was horrendous, the state that it was in. Um, the previous tenant had been kicked out because they had hosted some non-code related 
I guess business. I think it was the karaoke bar. Something it must have been like the karaoke that, yeah. bar. And so they had left in a hurry with, and also like had left a lot of ugly stuff around. Like the floor was entirely covered in this carpet glue, and the walls were all these different color paints because the paint was stripping off and um, showed years and years of use. So there was orange paint peeling off from ye- uh, yellow paint, peeling off of pink paint. Um, but the structure and the 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 foundation of the space was very clear to us that it was it was sound because it used to be an old dance studio so the wood floors were incredibly thick and so we can pretty much do anything to it whether that was sanding all of that stuff off and then um, staining and finishing it off uh, better and much later on um, or the sound quality it, because it's a basement we can pretty much mm-hmm. create a dead space for any of the experiences that we create and and being a basement led to its allure in the fact that it felt like a hideaway space from the, at the time, sort of weird mishmash of urban Chinatown and Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. I feel like Lower East Side is growing day by day, so it feels definitely more Lower East Side than Chinatown now. But um, some people liken it to a speakeasy. Some people still get scared walking down the staircases, yeah. but... <laughs> but it also worked in our favor because um, it was a blank space. So um, for for people who've been to the space, we had you know different partitions. But before when we found the space, it's completely open plan. There is there were no walls. Um, so even though it was in a dingy space when we found it, it kind of worked in our favor because um, when we look at other spaces, there are already partition walls. There are already rooms that we kind of had to work with. But this this space specifically we got to sort of design however we want it to be. And that's why we have these, you know, interesting hallway that looped around or that you have to, you know, curve around to, to get to our space. So that's something that kind of just worked out in a sense. I had no idea because as someone who's been there for multiple experiences, yeah. it feels like the little nooks and crannies yeah, yeah. and surprises are natural. Right, right. Can you talk about that design process, especially since I think... Um, you know, I mean, you guys have architecture backgrounds, so I'm mm-hmm. sure maybe your perspective's a little different. Well, I, I, yes. We have some expertise that I feel like a lot of set designers may not have access to, um, just from five years of going to an architecture school. Uh, but I feel like our creative process to building Wildrens the Space was very literal, uh, had a lot of literary references. So when we first decided, okay, what do we want the space to be? Um, Before we actually even found the basement space, we had already had come up with a Mm -hmm. few different scenes or moments or stories from books or films that were very memorable to us. And we had written them out in a list and also had picked out which kind of genres of spaces we thought could encompass a variety of stories. Um, so we definitely wanted some sort of outdoor space and definitely wanted some sort of indoor space and a few in between that can be colored in different ways. So the indoor space then became what we call the homeroom, um, which is uh, has a lot of domestic vibes in it. And then we had the forest, which you saw, um, which is not there anymore. <laughs> yes. um, but we wanted them to also have a stark contrast so we made the forest very surreal and stark versus the home area becoming a lot more decorative and um, rich in its details 
And then in between, we wanted to recreate these um, iconic moments that we wanted to showcase. So the office, which wanted, we modeled after a uh, noir film set type office, and the library, which is more fantastical mm-hmm. and has its roots in the Ollivander wand shop or the Beauty and the Beast library. And then we, after we had those ideas, we then made a list of, okay, these are the key pieces that we need to find, and these are all the materials that we would like to incorporate as textures or colors. And we went off in a long hunt to find all of them, uh, ranging from, again, Craigslist to Amazon, which is still our trusted (laughs) place to go, um, to this wonderful place called Build It Green. They used to have two locations, in one in Astoria and one in Brooklyn. And currently, the Brooklyn one is the one that is only open. Mm-hmm. But they have incredible pieces all the way from large furniture wardrobes like you've seen to small little trinkets like glasses and um, servant bells, I think they're called. <laughs> um, and then others, other pieces were found either on the street um, one of our big armchairs was actually dragged from around the corner. Someone had left it out there. Yep. It was in pretty bad condition, but after uh, heavy dusting, vacuuming, and some... Desanitizing. Uh, desanitizing. <laughs> wow. There was, some, there was a lot of spraying with vodka <laughs> involved. Uh, we were able to revive it to its uh, current glory. And it's weird because it's been so long that it's since its uh, kind of final where it is currently, um, that it doesn't seem like the journey has been that long mm-hmm. or the trek to and get And to, to add there. to our furniture collection, we actually made a bunch inside as well. So not not, not necessarily from our, our architecture background, but we both are pretty handy with stuff. We just like furniture making or just little props that you see in the site. Like a lot of them are actually made, custom made by us. With and a saw that we have hidden in this space yeah, somewhere. Yeah, with two saws. We have Pops a to whoever <laughs> finds it. Yeah, we have a little chest box filled with materials that's just building materials. Um, but yeah, like we, we actually like, because the space is found, you know, as as is, so whatever that we find in uh, from all these different places, in the end, we still have to custom fit to whatever dimension that we created. Um, so a lot of times, like the kitchen that you see, a lot of the... Um, actual furniture that fits in there we we had to custom measure everything and and build everything ourselves and stain and yeah. wait for the stain to dry paint stain poly all kinds of stuff that you can think of actually we done. had a, a bus customer once yell at us because we were spraying <laughs> away from the crowd but and downwind <laughs> um spraying some uh lacquer onto one of the boards that we, we had stained and was gonna install yeah. in our space and she was uh, very upset a uh, customer not the business so wait a so customer for- in the bus stop above our space so <laughs> it for people who aren't from new york maybe haven't been to chinatown can you explain the kind of odd corner that you're on <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah so we are located on a block where there is a i believe a buddhist Oh, Buddhist temple, temple. Yeah, 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 above us. And a Chinatown bus stop, which caters to a variety of people, but also is mostly long haul. So these are eight hour, 12 hour buses that go to Atlanta or other places. Like Philly or other places. Yeah. Yep, yep. yep. And then um, a restaurant supply store. And then a very hipster Thai store. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's all above ground and um, at street level. And then talk about talk about our second floor yes, bar. Yes, above the bus stop <laughs> is a very interesting and much loved uh, karaoke karaoke bar. Chinatown karaoke bar, which is called Upstairs Bar, yeah, I, I mean believe. Called, yeah, upstairs. And it also has an eclectic clientele um, on weekend nights or week. Uh, yeah, weekend nights, you can go there and you'll see it packed with hipsters and young adults like it was a Williamsburg bar. But on weekdays at 5 p.m., you go in there and you see 60, 50-year-old um, Cantonese-speaking men and women that are belting songs out <laughs> in front of whoever else happens to be there. And, it's, and I feel like we love that culture and we are... Fortunate to be in such an unassuming place, and then mm-hmm. um, we did paint our door beautifully blue. So it's uh, it's become kind of a identifier for a lot of people that have come to our shows mm-hmm. to find the blue door. And so once you come through the blue door and uh, walk down the stairs, you can enter whatever space we've created um, in the world that you've never seen before. So, so you've got this vision of. Something in between sleep no more and an escape room. Mm-hmm. You've got this blank space that you're designing out. What happened next? <laughs> a lot of, a, a lot, a lot <laughs> happened. Um, apart from the business minutia of you know making sure everything is prepped and ready and legal, um, we had to find a set of people with qualities that we have. No, we don't have expertise in, and um, we've never worked in an area that we've never worked in, which was uh, game developing and script writing. So we actually uh, met up with a bunch of people. Um, I guess it's weird to say audition, but interviewed uh, Sorry, yeah. mm-hmm. a few different people from a lot of different areas, uh, ranging from strict game design to LARPing to uh, game theory, and found someone that we really worked well with um, and created our first solo project. And I call it solo because this wasn't a partnership project and it was our first project that we're like, we're going to do this full on. Um, We found someone that we could work with that could add to the content and help us develop all these games that we've never done before. (laughs) And, um, And that became the... Uh, the path to to refuge, right. uh, mm-hmm. which so, actually happened yeah. at around the same time mm-hmm. as here, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So while we were doing all of that, <clears throat> we ended up having a chance meeting with Kelly Bartnick um, from the original Sleep No More cast. And she had a few different ideas of projects that she was working on currently and wanted to work on in the future. Um, we met at the space and... Apparently, it was enough, it was inspirational enough for her to abandon past projects, ideas, and uh, want to create a brand new, um, I guess, it's hard, episodic piece piece, uh, Mm -hmm. that came together really quickly. Um, We met Mm -hmm. with her in the the summer, Mm -hmm. uh, late in the summer, and then in six months, we had a full cast. pretty much most of the content and we're running through dry runs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, so here and Refuge actually opened around the same time. 
we opened Refuge first, and then meanwhile, we're also just looking for other projects because we're Refuge was kind of getting to a point where we're okay to just kind of let it run. Like we're done with the development process. So, yeah, that's how that's how we met up with Kelly because we keep that was our goal in the beginning when we when we um, created the space. Um, we wanted multiple various different projects in the space, and that's how that's why we keep we are constantly looking for other partners um, to you know do projects do different projects we, we actually in the process had met with people that were chefs people that mm-hmm. um, had different ideas of what a game could be and in the meantime we had run refuge and done here and then here went on hiatus uh, I think here is now in Atlanta mm-hmm. with um, with Kelly being down there most of the time and then in the meanwhile we wanted to see what we what else we could do in the space without compromising the projects that were currently there. Mm-hmm. So you had a live game running. Yes. Mm-hmm. You had dance theater. Yes. And then you said, hmm, what else can we do? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so we had met with a bunch of people. Um, we were going through a variety of meetings where... We went, some meetings were very short and we had only met our um, potential partners once. Some meetings were, we had met them multiple times. And somehow we ended up with Josh, which was a turning point for us because we never actually thought about doing a magic show in our space. Um, mm-hmm. We always, <clears throat> I don't know why we never thought of it. Probably because we have no expertise in magic yes. <laughs> and it seemed like a very far place to reach those magicians. Um, I also didn't realize that there was an uprising of magic shows in New York at the time. So there was, you know, in and of itself was widely popular and had been around for about a, uh, half a year at that point. Yeah, and but and, and I think how, how magic is shown to people is usually, usually has a proscenium, right? Like people are performing on a stage with lots of audiences sitting or it's street magic. That's like the two forms I've seen, I personally have seen. So a lot of times we never thought about magic show at our space because our space not only is it intimate it's a little bit small for you know like a hundred people you can't fit a hundred people in our space but also you have to move around the space to really enjoy the experience so we never thought about having it i think partially because just the nature of what we've seen a magic show being you know just kind of sitting down so when josh found this it was kind of perfect because he also wanted to do something where it's immersive enough where people are following him around as he tells a story so and i think that's that's something that that really worked out and he us. also i feel like has a lot of stories that go along with the magic that he's performing and to me that's different enough and that's new um at that time i hadn't seen in and of itself so mm-hmm. it was the first time that i've seen um magic trick that was done through storytelling and so it worked out really well where he would have he had brought all of these tricks and stories that he'd worked on for five years and practiced multiple times um over the course of five years and then we talked about where we could place it in the space and what was important and how do we highlight each moment and make sure that it's it's a journey that he takes people through rather than a series of magic tricks and that was such an exciting project for us to be involved in because we've never worked with magic before um 
in the very beginning, we were so excited to know all of the ins and outs of every trick. And now we're at a point where like, don't tell us anything because it just ruins the magic for us. And we, we'd rather not know. Um, but we've seen how, and because of Josh's uh, professionalism and his in, immense experience as being a performer, we're able to also learn a lot about how to engage an audience um, through a single prop. That was totally different from the way that most immersive theaters do it because mm -hmm. they're not a magician um, and they're not storytelling in that way. So we learned a lot from him as well as um, taking a lot from other projects and that became kind of where we wanted to start off in our future projects um, that we wanted to launch ourselves. Um, and while we were thinking that, then all of a sudden we're like, oh wait, we have all these other people that are interested in mm -hmm. um, partnering with us and using this space. And um, actually, I guess we missed a timeline on that a little bit because right after here, we had, that was the first time we met with Jake and Melody, um, which is the show that is going to be going live in a couple mm -hmm. weeks yeah, we called Through the Ren. Mm -hmm. um, that it's been a two-year process, so we've been working on it, on it, on and off over the past two years, and it has gone through so many iterations. And finally, through a successful Kickstarter, we're able to kind of bring it to life, um, and we're able to find the optimal position to put it in. Um, Jake and Mel really wanted to do it in the month of October because they're both in love with fall and. Uh, we feel that it is appropriate to tell a gothic romance story in that time period mm -hmm. rather than the heat of summer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, that project, I guess, was ongoing before even Six Impossible Things. Oh, yeah. But mm -hmm. um, I feel like Six Impossible Things definitely put us on the map a bit because Josh is... Um, World-renowned. Yes. <laughs> and insanely sold out. Yes. I, yes. I couldn't get tickets. Yes. So <laughs> well-known and... Uh, the fall it, show is completely sold out too. And <laughs> we were not expecting so many runs. And um, before, actually, in the middle of July, June? No, July. Yeah, uh, what are you trying to say? Um, the fall show had already sold out. Right, right. after the first run? Well, yeah. people, we opened the fall show um, in, in, in the middle of the first run yeah. because people were asking for more tickets. So yeah, by the like middle of summer, it was sold out. And now, <laughs> so wait, he was there in the spring. People were already clamoring for more tickets. So you opened up, I think, October through December. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. those are already sold. October through December Completely of 2018 is already sold out. Yes. <laughs> and now we have a new batch of tickets for March through May because mm -hmm. more people are asking for it, and we're Correct. like, okay, we'll bring it back. Yes, yes. And yes. Josh really wants. Um, to make sure that most a lot of people see his yes. stories and his um, and his show, so we're excited to have him back um, so many months in a row because he's a wonderful human being and <laughs> an incredible partner to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, so that also kind of not only did it put us on the map, but also gave us some structure because now we know okay which months are blocked off Correct. and which kind of. Uh, what kind of shows we want to work with. Um, mostly, we don't want to work with another magician while we ha are working with Josh because mm -hmm. he's so unique in the way that he um, his show is conceived that we wanted to make sure that that is you, um, individualized in itself. And in the meantime, uh, 
through our, I guess, pseudo fame, <laughs> our people knowing our name through the uh, through the magic show, and then uh, uh, subsequently our our kickstarters through the Ren and Mortality Machine. I think more and more people are finding out about the space that we've built and the way that we partner and the amount of projects that we've produced. And we've sat down with many different projects since then. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember with um, the, the, the other project called The Bunker. I think, you, yeah, you, yes. you factory come play. Um, Broken Ghost Immersive by um, Ian McNeely. I'm trying to remember when we met him. It was definitely during Six Impossible Things. I think so, too, yes. But it wasn't... It was in the first run, during the first run. Yes. We actually first played The Bunker at Ian's house. Oh, awesome! In his apartment. Uh, It was a... Such a fresh new experience. Mm -hmm. And it was something that we've been looking for forever. Even before we had worked on Refuge for Wilderness, we had always talked about, okay, how can we make a choose-your-own-adventure that's alive? And we never quite got to the opportunity to make something like that. And then Mm -hmm. um, we experienced the bunker for the first time. And we're like, wow, this is is a very, very clever rendition of what we what we would have imagined what a live mm-hmm. choosing adventure would be. And we instantly saw how it could fit um, in our space and how we can use our space to best tell the story of being in a bunker. Mm-hmm. Because it, I feel like what what is uh, incredible about the bunker is that people can imagine all of these scenarios. And, um, and because you're doing it out of, you're choosing your path with your own agency. Um, your imagination is highly important. And we wanted to make sure that the experience can be benefited from being in a space that makes you really feel like you're in a bunker and being able to walk through these, um, I guess, choices that you're making rather than just flipping over cards mm-hmm. um, and or hear a story from the instigator of it all um we don't want to give too much away so (laughs) you'll just have to come play (laughs) um so that was that was quite new that was a totally different way of um Mm -hmm. working and also a different project for us uh it's actually interesting because reflecting back on it i think most of our projects have are vastly unique in its yeah. conception as well as like the development. Yeah. For example, with here, um, even though it was our very first immersive project, um, we already knew it was quite special because the way that it kind of grew and the concept became more robust was um, Kelly as well as the dancers would come in for weekly meetings in the space and they would use the space as pieces of inspiration. So. For example, um, a teacup that uh, um, we actually had for a long time just sitting in the corner became the inspiration of a childhood game in the story of um, here. And that was such a novel way of seeing how a story can be built. Um, And also then seeing it during the first preview and reliving the space through someone else's eyes was incredible. And... It's new and always, uh, we always love to take that opportunity because the space 
Ervan always says, the space doesn't feel new to us anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's old news and nothing feels magical because we've been in the space and for hours and hours and sometimes I mean, uh, we days on end. Built it, right? <laughs> we also so built it. We if, know every mistake. Yeah, there are no secrets. Yeah, the only things we see is like, oh, we could have done that better or we could have done this corner better. So it, it does take away the, the magical moments when, when people come in. But yeah. then when, we, uh, when a project is built, even though we see the whole process of the project being built and sometimes are integrally part of the creative process, we end up still appreciating how the space is transformed through a totally different either genre or content or mm-hmm. even through lighting and sound. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at the point where we've learned a lot from all these different partners and all mm-hmm. these different experiences. And now we're ready to kind of use that to make sure that we can contribute um, to immersive theater as a whole. Because there's... It's such a new field and a new genre, and there's so much left to be explored, I think. Um, and I think being a space that provides the opportunity to many different uh, theater productions and just even creatives that may not be in the immersive theater world, mm-hmm. I think allow more and more creative kismets to happen. So, just even gateways, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's... Uh, it's been quite a journey for us. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to? So, I think we talked about uh, here, refuge, six impossible things. That's the magic show, the, the bunker. bunker, which is Broken Ghost Immersive's show, yes. through the Ren, which is the Gothic romance that's opening, I believe, in early October, yes. October fourth. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then six impossible things is coming back yes. through the end of the year yes and then you mentioned you have another project on the horizon which yes. will open in early 2019 yes <laughs> yes um which we are also i mean we're always excited about all yeah. our projects <laughs> Super excited. but um, <laughs> i think the thing that sets uh, mortality machine apart is experiences mortality machine really wants to do something a little bit further than just your conventional immersive experience which is taking the agency that comes from LARPing and putting in the hands mm-hmm. of immersive audience. So in rather than solely being guided or free roaming, free roaming, which to me is the current boundary of agency for immersive audiences right now, um, we're through with Mortality Machine, we're really giving you the choice to impact the storyline. So the decisions you make um, may make may change the lines that the actors are going to be giving in the next scene or the next act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And all of that kind of creates this new atmosphere that where uh, audience members can also become players and um, and then it becomes this new genre of a game um, closely mimicking, you know, society and human relationships but all centered around the theme of death so hopefully it's not just a game but it's also an emotional ride for people that um, really get into it and can uncover maybe hidden things about themselves that they never knew about Mm -hmm. Um, so that project we're all 
we're trying to keep it in the dark as much as possible. I'm going to shamelessly promote the Kickstarter yeah. is live. Yes. Go on Kickstarter search for the mortality machine. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, and uh, Ryan is also an incredible partner to work with. Him. He, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't know so much about... Um, flying as until we met him <laughs> but uh actually i think um one of the other projects that we didn't touch base on was it's hot in this apartment do we not get some of it okay let's go <laughs> sorry about that uh, no problem um should we backtrack a little just keep going okay well so uh one of the other projects that we are using to kind of i guess put in to spaces between the shows, the larger shows that will be taking chunks of time um, at our space, um, weeks if not months, mm. like uh, like uh, six impossible things, is a project that we've developed ourselves. It's our second solo project um, to put into ter- our terms, mm-hmm. and that is a Harry Potter inspired cocktail hour and. Um, hopefully you'll be able to come at some point. <laughs> I think you'll have a lot of fun. Um, it's We frame it as it's for anyone who's still waiting for their owl or never got their owl and want <laughs> to have always um, gone to Hogwarts. So we tried to create a sneak peek into what it might have been like to go to school at Hogwarts, but all with the earthly delights of drinking as an adult. So <laughs> cocktails abound. <laughs> um, and we used... All of the things that we've learned so far, magic show, um, different technical abilities from Refuge or from Through the Ren, and kind of it's culminated to as a project that showcases our best abilities and also the space at, at what it can be at, the pinnacle of what it could be at. And we've used all those pieces of knowledge and created experiences I think within the show to make it genuinely magical for people that are coming by so we use fire sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> for some people yes. <laughs> um, there's a lot of uh, different set changes and m- music changes so it's uh, that one's an exciting one and hopefully it'll be coming back in between all of the larger shows um, next mm-hmm. year so keep an eye out because uh, school will be returning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds awesome that you're doing your own work. You're collaborating with other teams on their work. Mm-hmm. Where do you see Wildrance going? I think there are two paths that we always talk about. Um, one path being the space itself. Um, Wildrance as a space, we built it, and we always use this analogy um, since our good friend coined it a few years ago as a game console, similar to a game console, where many different cartridges can go in. It's the same space, but depending on the cartridge that goes in, the experience for the player or the audience member is totally different. And we want to live that um, through our space as much as possible. So we'll hopefully be bringing many more diverse projects whether that's diverse through genre or diverse through cast or character, um, to the the immersive and non-immersive audience. Um, a lot of times the audience members that like gaming are not intersecting with people that like immersive. So bringing all of those audience members together to experience things that have never been done before. So hopefully, um, I think we're at the point where we can say 
we're definitely on the path to bringing more projects like that. Um, and Wilderness as a company, as a larger whole, I guess, mm-hmm. um, we are looking for constantly on the lookout for more opportunities that are not site-specific as to our site, maybe mm-hmm. to other sites. Um, so actually we're kind of in the talks. I don't know if this is okay to talk about to the public yet, but... Um, Should be okay. Yes, I think I think it's okay. Um, we're in talks with a, a LARPing group called the Game Theater, and they are hosting a, I guess, wizard life after wizard college weekend experience. Um, mm-hmm. They partnered with a company in Poland that does a wizard college there, um, a wizard college experience. And they are bringing their content to Philadelphia at a castle. And it is sort of, I guess, a, a mixture of Ministry of Magic versus, not versus, but a Ministry of Magic and Fantastic Meet world or Fantastic Beast Beast. meeting in a world that is, you know, largely Harry Potter influenced. And they've, um, I think, I mean, we've been talking with them previously on other projects before, but Mm -hmm. I think our wizard cocktail really put us on the radar for that specific collaboration. So we'll be going to Philly, hopefully, (laughs) in January to be bringing a bit more of um, gamified magic and uh, immersive experience to their weekend extravaganza. That's mm-hmm. super cool. Yeah. Are there any other niches or genres that you'd like to put a call out for? Hmm. Well, food. We, yeah, I know. We always food. We mentioned meeting chefs before, but we always wanted to work with something to deal with food. Um, but I think our space being whatever the domestic space that you see, having a, it's a fake kitchen. That always put us sort of we only have a sink, one sink in the restroom that that has always been like a hindrance for us to work with people you know in in the food industry but that is something we would love to do yes. um maybe not at our space maybe somewhere else but that's something that's always on our radar we're always looking for someone to collaborate with um we i think we'd also like to do projects at a larger scale Offsite, similar to the South by Southwest Westworld experience. Oh gosh! Um, well, that is a very, very <laughs> different scale. Yes, a whole different scale. But I think um, because we it, because we come from architecture, our scale has always been bigger than a building, right? It's either an urban city scale or at mm. least a skyscraper residential, right. building or like type. a campus or something. Yes. yes. Yeah. So coming from that scale, and then narrowing it all the way down to a mobile installation and or thousand square foot basement um, has been an exciting opportunity for us but also um, I, I feel like the boundaries have become a bit of a pigeonhole for us so as much as we love our space and love the intimacy of what a thousand square feet gives to audience members we want to create worlds, um, and we want to use all of the skill sets that we've learned from coding, because uh, we have Arduinos and Raspberry Pis throughout the space that control lighting as well as um, tactile information, so capacitive touch and stuff like that, S- all the way through how to create the best moment going walking down a staircase um, for a specific show. To build it at a larger scale even if it's not 
um, at one place, but maybe throughout a variety of different um, places, like an alleyway plus a bar plus mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a field somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like that's where, that's where we'd like to go. Um, one of the places we'd like to go, I think, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. creating worlds like that, uh, albeit temporary. How do you, I mean, it sounds like you guys have your fingers in a lot of different pies. <laughs> uh, how do you keep yourselves going? Like, what sustains you emotionally, psychologically, financially? I think every single time we meet with different, just people working in different industry, that's kind of what keeps us going. Like, because we're, we're working in this industry, um, we, we met up with our first magician, our first LARPing, you know, like all kinds of it's just different kinds of people finding us, us finding them. I think that's one of the reasons why we keep going, because it's really interesting, it's fascinating seeing what other projects people are doing or what other projects people see fit um, partnering with us, So and then vice versa. So that's that's one thing. Um, I don't know if you have anything um, want to add to it. I, th I think also the, the possibilities in the future of what immersive and interactive can be. Mm -hmm. um, we definitely want to be... A part of that movement, um, if not a contributor, and I think also having built a couple companies from the ground up, and knowing the hardships that and the the graces that come with it, we've learned a lot and want to kind of pay it back or pay it forward, I guess, mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. make sure that. We're letting other people know, oh, this is possible. This mm -hmm. this isn't just um, someone's dream that they think about when they're having a bad day at work. The finances can be up and down at times. Yes. Um, you kind of, we were fortunate enough able to able to kind of stick it out until we were, we found projects that can basically sustain all of the projects that we want to work on. Um, some projects obviously uh, bring us more money than others, which is a boon and something that we've been looking for, for Wilderness specifically for many years. Uh, by many, I mean two years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it, I think it shows that all our effort paid off and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that it and, and that is proof that it is possible for anyone that really has a dream and the drive to create something like this or create something new I mean when we first developed and made Wilderness the space itself nothing like this existed because it was just when um, Sleep No More came out I think Then She Fell hadn't even come out at that point so we've been sitting twiddling our thumbs well so metaphorically. metaphorically for two years waiting for the immersive world to catch up and get to the point where there are so many different people working in this industry now and wanting to drive it forward um and it's uh it's a great place position to be in um and hopefully it is only growth from now and mm -hmm. not a mm -hmm. um not something that becomes smaller and smaller and disappears someday so yeah do you have any advice for anyone out there who wants to get involved in the immersive world? Come talk to us. <laughs> Come find Come us. To. We're available. Um, our emails are on our website. <laughs> but I, I think um, we're always open, even if it's someone that wants to just pick our brain, um, to mm -hmm. meet and chat. 
uh, I think we have some knowledge to yeah. to um, spread and to to give to other people. Um, but as a, I guess some pointers if you want to start, I think it's always helpful. For example, with most of our partners, it's always helpful if um, you have a very good seed of an idea. So an idea that's not just brush strokes and moods and themes. I think if you can get to the point of, oh, this is this is what I imagine the character arc to be, or this is what I imagine the genre to be, even if it's just a genre. I think arriving to that point and having that like solid foundation to build the rest of your work allows you to be a part of a larger conversation. So even that's if talking to spaces or talking to set designers or talking to um, costume designers, it allows you a lot more opportunities than if you were just culminating through different ideas that mm -hmm. um, haven't quite reached the point where you can have a conversation with someone else with. Um, I think it's just also not to be afraid to reach out because I think back when we first started, we were we really hoped that we could have someone to sort of like talk to or someone who are open to responding. So that's something that um, I think nowadays because there are more and more immersive creators out there that um, and they're super friendly. And so <laughs> I feel like if you just don't be afraid to reach out and get more ideas because it's it's not an easy path starting ground up but there are people out there like us and other people who are willing to help because we've been through similar cases. And I think, I guess, a word to the wise in general, um, we've had the fortunate position to have partners that are all incredible human beings, not just mm -hmm. creators. So we haven't quite yet come across a bad partner, per se, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which is you know very fortunate. But I think... Um, a good partnership and you present yourself as a great collaborator if you're really upfront and yeah. you aren't playing games when you're coming to negotiating or yep. talking about projects I think um, we love it when people are frank and to the point and tell us hey we don't have a lot of money but we really have this one amazing project that we want to put through it's going to take us X amount of days to put it together but um, we believe that it is the reason why you're passionate about it and the reason why you think um, audience members will pay money to see it. And being upfront about all of that information, whether that's your passion all the way through the financial end of things, even if it's not looking so great, <laughs> I think is, is definitely helpful and refreshing because a lot of times if you find out too late in the game, oh, wait, you we're expecting this much, <laughs> right. that becomes a point of conflict and then um, nothing gets solved from that. So I think that's always good to have, even in not in the immersive world. Oh yeah, any, <laughs> any, any kind of industry, it's just good to be out front. Yeah. That's all we believe in. That is excellent advice. So for people who maybe uh, don't keep up with you regularly, how can they find you? wilderness.com <laughs> we also have Instagram which have right, all right. of our projects or you can also sign up for um, our mailing list that's one way we don't that's one good thing about us we don't send out that many emails we so don't you spam won't. you <laughs> yep yep don't worry about getting spam I, I am annoyed 
to the ends of the earth with all those robocalls and spam yeah, emails. Yeah. So we so don't do that. We don't. <laughs> we we try to respect you, treat you like you. We'd like to be treated ourselves. Exactly. So um, our newsletter is usually once or twice a month, depicting mm-hmm. all the projects that we'll be having in our space or offsite. Yes. Um, sometimes, if we have a specific project to highlight, like a Kickstarter going live mm-hmm. or um, a few dates coming back, we'll send you more than one one. Um, email a month but they're usually concise and Mm -hmm. with links so that you can read more if you choose to (laughs) awesome yeah so that's w-i-l-d-r-e-n-c-e yes dot com wild children (laughs) (laughs) got it got it but pronounced wildrens excellent (laughs) very very good uh so great conversation thank you so much for speaking with me today thank you so much thank you for enduring the heat of this apartment (laughs) and all the sirens and everything oh it was my pleasure (laughs) great thank Once again, I want to thank our guests, Yvonne Chang and Jay Lee of Wilderance for being on the show and for Catherine uh, and to Catherine. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm just straight up exhausted. Uh, and to the Catherine for taking on the host duties. Uh, you can find Wilderance at W-I-L-D-R-E-N-C-E dot com. I'm reading things and cannot get through spelling something. I am zonked. Yeah, I'm zonked, Uh, and I don't want to get into it. So there you go. Uh, I have a personal life. It happens. Um, uh, There are things that I do want to kind of uh, point out for everyone, Uh, stuff that maybe I I would have mentioned at the opening if it wasn't so freaking exhausted. Uh, Last night, I got to go check out Nightwalk in the Chinese Garden at the Huntington here in Southern California. It's amazing. Uh, It is straight up a beautiful piece of work. Um, it is a production of uh, CalArts Center for New Performance in association with the uh, Shanghai Kunk Troupe and Theater Above Shanghai. Um, this is just, <laughs> there's a part of me that's like, you know, if you can go check this out. And I, I don't honestly know what the what the ticket situation is at the moment. Uh, th- you know, there's definitely been some good sales uh, going through, so it might be a hard ticket to come by. But uh, if site-specific theater is something you're interested in, and just a really well-constructed, beautifully directed play is something you're interested in, particularly something where um, culture, cultures get to mesh as part of a cultural exchange, um, please check this out. It's great. Um, there's there's going to be a full write up, you know. Like I, I got I got notes here and there. I mean, hey, it's me, but um, it's just it's in a beautiful location. It's it's just masterfully constructed in terms of the narrative design, uh, and the directions just just gorgeous. Just such a great use of the space, and it's site specific in the sense that it's activating some of the the history of the space itself and the legends and mixing that with some some classic uh kind of kind of fairy tales um out of china and just beautiful and given the era we're in uh kind the kind of project that you know the kind of project that wouldn't be getting initiated right now you know straight up just 
just that kind of project because of the times. Um, they've been working on this for a while, so um, go for it. Just go for it. It's worth it. Um, what else is up? Uh, got to check out Horror Made Here. I'm in the middle of writing the review for that. I really enjoyed myself there. Uh, I'm not even, you know, I'll cop to it. I, I haven't seen Friday the 13th. I haven't seen Nightmare on Elm Street. I know the iconography real well. Um, and I know, know exactly what those movies are about, which is one reason why I haven't seen them, because uh, the concept terrified me as a kid. Uh, I've grown up, and it probably wouldn't have the same effect on me. But there's something about walking around the shores of Camp Crystal Lake, and you got Jason and Freddy out there uh, causing trouble. Uh, that's just awesome. Just so, so awesome. Um I had a lot of fun um, with something I, I really need right now. So yeah, there you go. Um, hey, that's it. That's all I want to do today. Uh, that's all I'm contractually obligated to do today. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to go rest up. Uh, I hope everyone has a wonderful spooky season. We'll be back next week. Um, let's do the thing where we do the credits. Uh, yeah. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. And of course, we are brought to you in part by Meow Wolf. Contact us uh, at uh, No Persinium on Twitter, at No underscore Persinium uh, on Instagram, at No Persinium on Facebook. You can pitch us via pitches at nopersinium.com, and we are at patreon.com slash nopersinium. All right, that's it for now, and uh, until next time, I will see you at the show. 